Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. This week, we're entering Thor Ragnarok. This is a movie that's all about character development. We see Thor getting, once again, just like in the original Thor movie, essentially kicked out of Asgard and sent down to a lower place where he has to fight his way back up and take on some big bad in order to save his people. Thor has to work with Dr. Banner and the Hulk. He has to work with Valkyrie, and he also has to work once again with his brother Loki. Through this journey, Thor has to learn about compassion. At first, after Odin's father passes away and Hela strips him of his hammer, Thor is in desperate need of somebody to take compassion on him, and nobody is doing it. In return, over the course of the movie, Thor learns that compassion is really what changes people. And so Thor learns to stop being so transactional and start being all about other people. In doing so, Thor learns how freedom and wisdom are related to compassion, and so will we. All right, welcome back to Wonder Tour, episode 54 today. Thor Ragnarok, and pretty excited about this. This is a more of a departure-type flick for Thor. I really liked it, though, because of some of the curveballs, constant curveballs that we get thrown in the movie. And speaking of curveballs, we have Brian here again this week, and he is the, I would say, grandmaster of curveballs. Good morning, everyone. Good to be back with you guys. We're looking forward to this chat. We're we're happy to have you, Brian. And Drew, why don't you start us out on this, as you always do. You're so good at it. Part one, it's all about learning about what do we think about the movie? What do we think about the characters? What do we take away from this? So let's start with Brian. Brian, I think you were the one who suggested this movie. Why do you love Thor Ragnarok? There's a lot to love here. The visuals and the pacing of the movie are a lot of fun. The crazy science fiction, fantasy, mythology mashed up design for really kind of a wild roller coaster ride of a movie. So that's the immediately appealing piece of it. But I thought of it for uh, this sequence when we were talking about a movie that really embodied compassion. It seemed like it would be a really fun way to kind of watch Thor go through this journey where he, as you mentioned in the intro, he has a lot of his sort of defining traits and his support stripped away from him very quickly in sequence over the first half of the movie. And he has to figure out how to build them back again with much less to rely upon than he's used to as the God of Thunder. And so that's the the really compelling part of the arc for him. He's such a charming and lovable character, as are most of the supporting cast. But he also consistently makes some pretty terrible decisions <laughs> earlier in his character arc. And so this is there's some real inflection points of the character here and some really good leadership discussions. He's kind of like that classic 1D hero, isn't he? Where the 1D is the brute force and I've got to crush everything now. <laughs> No, Drew? I have to be the strongest Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> Drew, you're kind of into that, right? You're into that brute force. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. So what were you thinking about this, Drew? I'm going to turn it back around on you. I think the, the first time I saw this movie, I agree with Brian. The visuals are great. Obviously, Taika Waititi, anytime he's directing, it's usually going to be paced fantastic. So 
what's really fun about the movie is the ending for me. I thought that the ending is one of the best endings of any Marvel movie. And there are some really spectacular endings here. But the way that we kind of all have it interweaved and you have all the characters learning these lessons and kind of the fulfillment of their arcs, even down to Scourge, right? Who We knew Scourge's arc, you know, in a Disney movie, whenever you have that character who betrays people in the end, either they have to be, you know, put in jail or they have to be put to death or they have to have a some sort of a reversal moment where they sacrifice themselves, right? So all the way down to Scourge, we get some closure. I just felt like the movie provided a ton of closure there. And it also just gave you something that you didn't see in all these other movies. So now, after you watch this movie, you go back to the other Marvel movies with these characters, and you now have more of an understanding of who they are and maybe what their motivation is. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I really enjoyed just overall, like Brian was saying and in introducing there is that seeing Thor kind of get, I, I guess, beat down a little bit, you start to see, actually, I'm, I've, I've said this before, which is that I want to, it's kind of weird when you when you hear Thor talk about being a god and what is his limit? When, when will he break, right? How many times can he get knocked across the world where you have those massive takedown type hits where you start, you just go flying, right? And how many times has that happened to him where he just goes flying and eventually runs into something? <laughs> it's like, Newton's laws of physics, right? And eventually you find a normal force that you run into and you can't you know, go through it. Oh, it's a concrete wall, whatever it may be. So he's got a lot of limits. and But this is probably his, his most sensitive limit really here is that his he's left in a completely vulnerable state. No one is even allying with him in the first half of this movie, right? So let's jump into that. What do you guys think? No, that's really good. He is... Uh... In along his, you know, the axis that he cares about, smashing things with a hammer and you know, fighting fighting the bad guys, he is he's basically invulnerable, right? He can take as many punches as you can throw at him, and he'll just keep bouncing off the walls and coming back for more. And we see that at the, you know, right at the very beginning, where he's just he's in this impossible situation, chained up in, some, in front of some giant fire monster, and he's and he's just like laughing it off. He's like, I'm the god of thunder. This is gonna be fine. But what he starts getting hit from the emotional angles, we see him. He's looking for some compassion at the beginning of this movie from somebody. And in sequence, everybody that he looks to or reaches out to turns away from him. So he goes and finds he's, he realizes the uh, Asgard's in trouble. So he goes back and Loki's being Loki. So he goes to find Odin. Odin literally dissolves into a golden cloud of dust and <laughs> wafts away. His sister shows up that he didn't know she had. And she turns out to be murderous and horrible. And so he ends up on this junk planet. The scrapper Valkyrie character saves him and he says, thank you. And she shocks him unconscious and delivers him into being a slave. He sees Hulk on the battlefield. He's like, yay, Hulk is here. And Hulk pummels him into unconsciousness. He later gets caught up with Banner. He's like, oh, Banner, it's great to have you back. And, you know, you need to help me. And Banner's like, dude, I got my own stuff going on here. I don't, you know, I can't help you. I'm, I'm still traumatized from what I've been through. So he really has to have like literally everything from his hammer and his father to his world to all of his friends sort of turn their backs on him to get to that low point where he starts being, you know, realizing that the punching his way out isn't going to work and realizing that the sort of transactional relationships are also not going to get him what he needs. Yeah, there's a huge development here, and it doesn't seem like it to some extent, because when you look at Thor 1, I mean, you can go back to episode 8 where we did Thor 1 on Wonder Tour, and we talked about how brute force isn't going to cut it, and that's one of the things that Thor has to learn. But I would really say that in Thor 1, he learns it's not all about me, which is the classic kind of lead superhero type lesson to learn, right? That's what Tony Stark has to learn. That's the that's what Doctor Strange has to learn, right? This, the most powerful of superheroes always have to learn it's not about me. 
Um, but here he does now know that it's not about him and it is about Asgard and it is about Loki. And so he's he's decentralized a little bit of the story from himself. But what he hasn't yet learned here is how to lead. He's still struggling with that. He's, he's like, OK, I know I can't do everything and be everything, but like, what do I do, given the fact that I've been stripped of everything here? I mean, I love that he has to learn something. I mean, he's classic hero's journey here. He has to learn something about himself. He has to go up against this brick wall. And so the only way to overcome is to make a change inside of himself. And the change that he makes inside of himself, while outwardly we might see it as him embracing the thunder that he should have always been potentially or could always had, it's not really as much about that as it is that he learns that it's about other people and it's about how he can make them the most that they can be because he can't defeat Hela on his own. No, that's really cool. And uh, as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking through this. Part of that leadership about leading other people is that he also has to realize that the way forward isn't back. Right. He spends a lot of time like I got to get back to Asgard and put everything back to normal. But that's actually not one of his options, right? And it takes him a while to figure out that, like, just going back to the way things have been is not, you know, what one of the, one of his choices of where he can lead people to. And so he has to have a more compelling or at least a more plausible vision to the, of, of what can happen, given all the things that have happened in the universe that he can't get away from. Uh, I am simply saying that life will find a way, right? Jeff Goldblum, tie in, <laughs> masterfully done. <laughs> The Grandmaster is a little bit of a catalyst here, right? He is a selfish individual, at least what we can see, and he just wants the entertainment value of watching all these people suffer through his Grandmaster obstacle course of death. <laughs> and it's a good setup because it really forces Thor to finally overcome some of these things, right, and build some alliances. And of course, he meets a nice rock along the way, a nice living rock. I really like that guy. But he also, obviously, with with Hulk here, it's a good setup, and he gets he, he breaks through. He breaks through. I I don't know. We could talk more about that here, but I, I think it's it really the Grandmaster was necessary as a construct to kind of box him in and not let him run away like he usually does. In the first movie, we had this like overall distraction with Jane, and he was distracted with the hammer, and but there is no hammer now, so he's got to find another way, and 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 this is what we find him doing, right? Well, I think that's interesting that you mentioned that the Grand Master really is set up as a necessary conflict. Because I think a lot of times, you know, when we run up against our Grand Master, and it's, sometimes it's not a person, sometimes it's a system or a thing, we <laughs> we forget the old Jedi adage that the obstacle in the path is the path, right? It's that is the hero's journey. <laughs> it's going through that obstacle and the changes that it's going to make in you along the way. So while, yeah, he could bemoan his fate of getting tossed in here with a bunch of people who have no compassion on him. I don't want to help him get back to Asgard. He has to learn to have compassion on them anyway. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, he does. He he has to. He's forced to. This is what I find so interesting about these heroes' journeys. They don't usually pick them. And we empathize with that when we're watching a story like that. We're like, I didn't pick mine either. Sometimes you do pick it, though, don't you? How's that go versus this? I think for, for me, most often, I don't pick. You don't pick the hero's journey because it's this conflict from without that forces you to change from within. And so sometimes you can pick the fights. But even when you, it seems like for me, in my experience, when I pick the fights, those don't end up being as transformative as the ones that pick me. 
I think, and it's, you know, usually the experience is that you've got, you have a vision in mind, you're trying to lead in a certain direction, but you don't necessarily foresee which obstacles are going to be the big ones or which wrinkles are going to get thrown at you. And so that's, it's always, it's always a combination of the two. I really liked you were talking about the Grandmaster. Like a lot of these heroes journeys, the, the antagonists are really just shadows or mirrors of the hero, right? So Hela is like prototype Thor. She was the actual firstborn. She's like super battle Thor, undefeatable, draws her power from Asgard, right? Only about herself, only about conquest, which is, which is a, a twisted, exaggerated version of what Thor could have been in that first movie. And Grandmaster is like party Thor. He's like, he just wants to have a good time and doesn't really care about anything else. He's purely hedonistic. And, and Thor could have gone that way, too. Like, that was there in his character in the first couple of movies. Classic hero's journey, right? He's having to vanquish his internal demons in symbology of external archetypes that are just exaggerated versions of it. Yeah, and what if Grandmaster and Hela had the same conflicts that Thor has, right? Maybe they failed the test. We talk about the test on Wonder Tour. The test is critical in the hero's journey, right? Maybe they failed the test and maybe they did have and we just didn't get to see those experiences where they failed the test. But maybe they didn't. And that's why they end up where they're at is because they never had the test in the first place, or at least the test was not as stark and world ending as Thor's test. Yeah, no, that's really good. And like we talked a little bit about earlier in the discussion that from a leadership standpoint, like maybe Odin failed Hela, right? The Odin's decision to exile Thor in the first movie rings very differently if you know that he had an earlier firstborn child who grew so out of control that he had to confine her to some void forever. That context of like what he was worried about happening is a lot harsher if he knew if he'd actually seen it happen once. So that as the, the Odin leadership role of like, when do you intervene as a parent or as a leader? And what's the consequence if you let something get too far out of control? That's also sort of implied here. But that takes us to a really good point, though. And it's our moment, our mountaintop here. It's when Thor makes the decision to leave Loki. Brian, do you want to set us up for this moment? Yeah, so the history here, of course, is over the sequence of several movies, both the Thor movies and some of the Avengers movies. Thor clearly loves and adores his brother and keeps wanting to bring him back into the fold. You know, keeps arresting him and imprisoning him, but he also keeps trying to team up with him and really wants him to succeed. And he keeps getting tricked and betrayed over and over and over again. And this in this movie, for the first time, we see him very explicitly out of compassion, telling Loki that Loki could do anything that he wanted to, but he keeps choosing to be selfish. So I'm just going to probably leave you here. Maybe it's best if we part ways. Like they say that at the opening of this scene as they're fighting their way very effectively together, fighting their way into the space fort. But then Thor is ready for when Loki betrays him and he makes the choice to just leave him behind. Not to try to punish him, not to try to fix him, not to try to trust him, but to take that middle ground of like, this is just not going to work. And my compassion's not going to mean that you are going to actually be a trustworthy person in my life. I'm just walking away. And that's a, a very different moment for him. And it's a big part of the growth arc that we see where he starts to sort of reflect on what is what is really the, the path of wisdom here. Well, I'd say it's something that gets Loki thinking is aloneness. Somebody like Loki needs people to play with. <laughs> that's like his whole, that's, that's one of his main things, right? Oh, and we see awesome. that We see that in his series that he just can't handle it when he's alone in a time loop or stuck with that uh, lady, Lady Sif, and she keeps smacking the crap out of him. 
<laughs> the yep. monotony, monotony and aloneness really get to Loki. He cannot yes. stand either of these things. And that's why people keep locking him up because they're like, you're going to learn this time. You're going to learn. But I think the thing that Loki learns most from is you take one of his favorite playthings away, right? And if he can't even see Thor through that translucent force field window that he can't get through, then that is going to drive him crazy and make him change, at least temporarily. And I think that's that's it. I mean, if he can't entertain, if he can't do some things, at least through that window, that really gets to Loki. If he can antagonize you through a window, think about it. Phil Coulson, he's like, <laughs> he just has all these different exchanges in different movies with different people, and it's usually taunting them through a translucent window, right? <laughs> that's and great. he needs that. He has to have that. No, that's <laughs> so great that away <laughs> well and it's really i mean it's re- that whole scene that whole sequence is really masterfully handled because you can see they're they're having this very logical conversation about how it totally makes sense for loki to just to stay at this place and just be very decadent and take and take advantage of people at the same time that they're working very effectively together like almost telepathically at the same time that loki is clearly through his expressions showing he's like but that's not what i want like i don't want to be alone Right. And so Thor, Thor sees that, like he knows it, but he's also like, anyway, you haven't, you haven't earned it. We, we can't trust you to be around. And isn't that the line that we're trying to find when we talk about compassion? So you said limits of compassion here. And I think that's so hard for us to find in our lives. And we talked about it in the Parks and Rec episode 51 with BB as well. How do we find the limits of compassion and when do you need to have tough love on somebody I think one way that we could think about it is, at least on Wonder Tour, our vision for flourishing involves humans being free, but humans having the wisdom to be able to wield that freedom successfully and not use that freedom to abuse each other, not use that freedom to destroy the world, but instead to use it to construct an even better one. So if that's the case, that we're trying to get humans to take on freedom and that they need to have at least as much wisdom as they have freedom, you know, it's very conceptual to say, like, fill up your freedom bar and fill up your wisdom bar. But that can help us not just with compassion, but with a lot of these different traits and abilities that we talk about to understand when to use compassion and when compassion is just going to cause enablement, right? It's a tough line to find, though there is a certain amount of this that we're scared just a little bit of the chaos that that freedom can bring without the wisdom bar being filled up. I really like that you kind of made this podcast into an RPG for a brief moment here. I really like that. Let's think about that as we go forward in future episodes. But I like this idea of filling a wisdom bar or leveling up your wisdom. I'm level 42 wisdom. That is really what it takes. You have to actually think about these things and fill that up, right? And and figure out what that line is. But as you've said before, that line is different for each person. I think because the vices are different for each person. Loki's vices, we just talked about them, the fact that he has to be be able to play with people. And that's kind of one of his vices because he just wants to push their buttons and figure them out. <laughs> I I could relate a little bit when I was younger. I kind of had that thing going on where I just, you know, I, I, I wanted to play a little bit, right? And you can get sucked into that and get distracted by it. But someone has to give that tough love to you, break you out of it. And it can come in many forms. And a magnanimous leader knows kind of when to push, which is kind of like push, I think, would be repel. Right. Put some distance, maybe a little bit of a friendly gut punch, (laughs) not a literal one. (laughs) Right. But a friendly one. 
And compassion drives that. And I think this is a little bit where we talk about fake compassion, right? Where you repel somebody and you're not having compassion on them. You're not thinking about that this is good for your development, that you're literally just like, I'm annoyed with you. I think that Thor has some moments like that with Loki. But then there's also the pull where you give somebody an opportunity to take your hand, right? To grab your hand and and you can pull them forward into a better future for them if they can just let go of what they're holding on to. And so much about having that compassion kind of complete its work is getting them to let go, isn't it? That's really cool. I like I like that getting them to getting them to let go. And I wonder how that's one of the things that I see as we're talking through this is kind of this tension between the the vision of like, here's the future you want to go to or I want to go to or we should all go to and the pragmatism of like, what could we actually do? Right. The our antagonists have very uncompromising visions. And it's it's sort of you have to be either completely bought in or enslaved to the vision or you have to fight against it. But there's not really any middle ground. And Thor starts with a pretty uncompromising vision, like, I'm going to go back and die in battle trying to prevent this bad thing from happening. And he has to sort of migrate to a more pragmatic vision. And that the pragmatism of compassion at a detail level is the mirror of that, is the thing that he has to learn, right? He has to be pragmatically compassionate for Loki because it's just not going to work. But the characters that have been Valkyrie's kind of the opposite arc, right? She starts out super pragmatic because she doesn't, there's no vision to buy into. She had to, she, she failed as a Valkyrie, you know, was nearly killed, was exiled to this place where there's, it's every person for themselves. And so she doesn't have a vision to buy into. And so she's being very practical, very pragmatic and just sort of surviving. And through the course of the movie, she actually gets on board with Thor's vision because it's not selfish. Yeah, that's. Ooh. So I think the interesting thing there is it's it's you can see in all of them this tension between freedom and wisdom, though, because and now you pulled in the vision and we always like to talk about the vision on Wonder Tour. But for Loki, right, really for anybody, you can only really gain wisdom by being given freedom. And then the tension that freedom builds allows you to either become disillusioned, become narcissistic, become pessimistic or it allows you to grow and become a magnanimous leader like thor again he's not there you know after this he's going to become fat thor like (laughs) it's not yeah he's going to become the drunk fat thor so it's it's not like he's reaching his end here but he's growing and he's growing and he's growing and he wisdom like filling up that bar of wisdom it's not one percent at a time it's just little granules at a time and it's like each model that you learn each experience that you have if you really are able to take it to heart that can help to just slowly fill up that wisdom bar and brian like you were talking about it's not binary it's not the vision is not binary the vision is in flux and oftentimes wisdom requires that we accept that sometimes to achieve the vision in the end we have to achieve we have to accept a suboptimal (laughs) a suboptimal move on the board right now because that's that's it when you can really see that the vision is not about me getting exactly what i want and instead it's about people living in a certain way now you're willing to sacrifice the things and i think i'm already verging on what we want to talk about in part two so this is probably a good time to brian any final thoughts here derek I, I did have one real quick, which was that as you're talking, just that a magnanimous leader has authentic compassion. 
And this authentic compassion knows approximately where and when to friendly gut punch you and give you that tough love right where you need it to help you fill your wisdom bar. And that's why we're doing this for the good of others, because we know that those loops are going to come back and they're going to give us the friendly redirection that we need as leaders to grow our wisdom bar up. And that's what we want in the end. And we do that for each other. We 100% do. Brian, I'll give you the last word. No, I really like it. What, what you guys just said there, I, you know, almost suggest that the compassion and the vision are both things we're aspiring to. And the wisdom is kind of being able to judge the context and how to deploy them effectively and what is the right expression of compassion and what is the appropriate vision given where we're starting right now. Perfect. We're going to leave it right there. Next time, we're going to be talking about Thor Ragnarok Part 2. And this is going to be more about how compassion is a vision for people and what we see that they could become as magnanimous leaders. So remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.